in, in just a few days, we will be on a, a plane, uh, a jet or passenger plane. Um, we have um, actually chartered a private jet. And uh, praise the Lord. We have graciously allowed 300 other people to come along with us on this flight. So uh, it will... <laughs> That's a little exaggerated. We bought tickets is what we did. So anyway, we're going to be on this flight. And if you've ever been on a flight, it's not uncommon to experience a little turbulence. Has anybody ever been on a flight and, and experienced some turbulence where you kind of bounce and it kind of rocks you around and everything? Well, turbulence tends to scare the passengers. You know, passengers get nervous and, and wonder what's going to happen. And, and they're all upset. And oh, my goodness, because you know, it's no fun getting bounced around. But the pros, who fly thousands of hours a year, have done it for years and years, they're not bothered by turbulence at all. They, the pilots say turbulence is more of an annoyance than a danger. They're not scared the wings are going to break off. They're not scared the plane's going to flip upside down or nosedive or tailspin to their death. They're not, the, the main thing they're afraid of is spilling coffee on themselves. When they, that's what they say. They say so while, while the passenger out there, oh, are we going to be okay? They're, and they're talking about the golf game they had the day before because turbulence to the pilot, the trained professional, is, again, more of a nuisance than it is a danger. Well, I believe in our life we experience some turbulence. It's kind of hard to go on a long journey and not have a little bit of turbulence here and there. But if we're not careful, we process all turbulence as life-threatening and dangerous. Now, I'm not saying there isn't life-threatening and dangerous things that happen in our lives that require some real serious focus. I, I'm not trying to say that's not true. But I am saying that most of the time, I believe what we get so amped up about is just turbulence. It's a nuisance, and it will pass. And we, if I ask for a show of hands, anybody here over 10 has had multiple things in their lives where they're so anxious about and so worried, and, and the sky's falling in, and everything, and then it just goes away, and two weeks later, they don't even think about it anymore. Why? Because there's a little turbulence. It wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't dangerous. It was a nuisance. It was annoyance. It was awful. We didn't like it, but it goes away. And so I want to encourage us not to turn every bit of turbulence in life into a, you know, some crazy big situation, because life would be awful if everything that happened to us we looked at as life-threatening and dangerous, and we're doomed. Who, who wants to live like that? We don't want to. Now, there was a, a French philosopher, I've used this quote before because I just love it. It became one of my favorites. I think of it quite a bit. His name's, I'm going to butcher it, I'm sure, but it's like Michel de Montaigne, I think is how they say it. And his quote is this. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. And I thought, about that. isn't that so true? My life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. So don't let your turbulence turn into something that actually robs you of life. So we have these little moments. You ever, you ever have a, uh, somebody do something weird on the road, and they blame you, and so they give you an unfriendly hand gesture as they drive by, and you think, I just mind my own business. You're the jerk that did that. Well, you have like this five-second encounter, and it just like ruins your whole day. And everybody else's day. Because you've got to talk about it, tell about it, and justify yourself and tell what happened. You're talking about it. You're worried about it two days later. Okay. Just, just, that's a little turbulence. Don't let 10 seconds steal the rest of your day. Just let it go and go on. 
don't, don't sweat the small stuff like that. There are some big things. I'm not trying to paint some pie-in-the-sky life where we never have a problem or that every single turbulence is just turbulence and, and uh, you know, a bad moment. Sometimes there really are serious things you need to bear down, get to work on, figuring out how to fix that thing. But most of it's not. Most of it just passes on and life goes on. And so I don't want us to spend our lives, you know, always in thinking the turbulence is a disaster and we're ruined because that's not true. But you may say, well, how, how can I do that? Well, I suggest that we begin to take authority over our lives. That we begin to take authority over the sphere of influence that we have and the world around us. We've kind of been on this vein for a while. You know, we're confessing the word of God. We're saying enough is enough. We have the good hand of the Lord upon us. We have all kinds of things that can help us move forward in just a vibrant, wonderful walk with God. So let's not get caught up in a bad moment. Let's take authority over things. Again, I'm not saying that there aren't things we need to deal with hard, and I'm not also not saying that everything's perfect. But we as Christ followers... We live in a different kingdom. I really want this to kind of settle into you today. We live in a different kingdom. We don't live in the kingdom of this world around us. Do I like when things are wrong in the world around me? Absolutely not. But do I also understand I live in a different kingdom? I live, I live by different principles and different rules and different regulations. So as Christ followers, the Bible tells us that we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness... And we've been translated into the kingdom of the son he loves or the kingdom of light. So from the domain and dominion of darkness to light. That's Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Not only are you in a different kingdom, you're a different person. I like that the King James actually uses this word. If anyone is in Christ, it says, if any man be in Christ, they are a new creature. I kind of like that word, creature. We're, we're like a new creature, a new being, a new something that never existed before because we now have the presence and power and might of Jesus living in us. So we've looked at this many times before, but I want to keep drilling it home because I need reminded, so I figure everybody else does too. But Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 tells us where Jesus is. In Ephesians 1, it's talking about that God released his, his power that there's nothing to compare it to. And he released his power, and then it says, when he exerted that power, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all. Don't want you to miss far above. Not just a little above. I think about this all the time. I mention it all the time. God just doesn't ever say above. It's always far above. He doesn't say enough. It's exceedingly more than enough. There's, it's always like he pushes it. It's, it's more than just enough. So far above. So Jesus is seated far above all. All rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. And he's seated far above every name that can be invoked or called upon. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this isn't just about when we get to heaven. I get it when we get to heaven, all's well. But we need some heaven on earth right now, which actually Jesus taught us to pray. I know this is wild stuff, but this is what the Bible teaches. And so here's Jesus. He's seated high above. All enemies are under his feet. He's in charge. He, he does all this for the church. 
And then it tells where we are in Ephesians 2. And God raised us up with whom? With Christ. Yeah. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if Jesus is seated far above all power, rule, dominion, authority, any name that can be invoked now in this present age and in the age to come, where are we seated? We're seated with him. See, I, I believe the gospel is the only thing that's too good to believe, that we just need to believe. We go, wow, that's, that's crazy, but that's good stuff. So we're seated in a place of authority. I'm just teaching you the Bible here. Now, I know this may be something you've never heard before or something you need to be reminded of or something you may scratch your head and say, I don't know about that, but just check it out in the Bible. I love what Paul said. Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the other people because when he taught them something, they checked the scriptures out to see if what he said was true. That was not insulting to Paul. He actually praised them for checking it out. So you're more than welcome to check this out. You and I are seated in a place of authority right now, not just when we get to heaven, right now. So we have authority right now. In the Bible, God exercises authority over everything. Anything and everything. Any dominion, any dimension, anything, God exercises authority over it. How can he do that? Because he's Lord of it. He created it. He is master of it. And so every dimension and every dominion has to bow its knee to his lordship. That's why you read crazy things in the Bible that are true. That the children of Israel come to a Red Sea... And this mighty God parts the thing, and it comes up as two walls. Do you all know that's not natural? That's not normal. But God does it. Why? Because he's not natural. He's not normal. He is supernatural. And so then you see a guy lose an axe head in the river, and the prophet prays. And an axe head floats to the top like a cork. How does it do that? Because God has authority over the, na- the laws of nature. Jesus speaks to a person who's covered in leprosy, and all of a sudden his skin is clean like that of a child. How's that happen? Because God has authority over all of this. He has authority over it all. The sun stands still. Sun goes backwards. All kinds of crazy stuff going on in the Bible because God's the authority of all of this, all of it. Back several years ago, Mitch called up, my son Mitch. For those who don't know, our oldest son is Sean, and then we have twins, a boy and a girl, Mitch and Caressa. And Mitch called up, and he was out at a place called Piercy Priest. I told the story once before, uh, but I enjoy telling it, so I get to tell it again. And maybe you weren't here that day. So uh, he jumps off a cliff, as they do. Um, why, I don't know, but he, you know, it's what they do there. And so when he comes up, he's missing his Apple Watch. Well, those things aren't cheap, and so he calls up and says, I jumped out in the lake and I lost my Apple Watch. And so Darlene, Darlene's crazy. She says, I'm going to pray for that Apple Watch to come back home. Those weren't exact words, but that was it. And she said, why don't you agree with me? And I went, are you crazy? I mean, let me give you an idea. Piercy Priest is uh, thousands and thousands of acres. It's 
If you've ever been to Del Hollow, it's kind of more like that. I'm not talking about, you know, the local lake around here. If you've been to Lake Monroe, it's like five times bigger than that. Okay, so this is a massive lake. And so she says, let's pray. I said, okay, so we pray. And uh, uh, three days later, I'm sitting in a Christian conference, and I get this text. It says, I was scuba diving in Piercy Priest Lake and found an Apple Watch with the name Mitch McIntyre. And you, and you are listed as dad. It still works. George, Hermitage, Tennessee. And so I said, oh, man. I said, that's crazy. My son just lost it a few days ago. Thank you. And I gave him the contact information. And uh, I told him, I said, I know it may sound crazy to you, but we just prayed about that. I couldn't hardly get my wife to agree with me, but I just said, hey, I am believing God. <laughs> I didn't tell him all that. <laughs> but, uh, and, and the thing worked for a couple of years. I mean, total functioning, functioning watch. Now, I don't know, but to me, that's crazy. And, and I had somebody one time say, well, so... What you're telling me is God cares about some rich kid's little watch. I, first of all, thank you that you think my kids are rich. Uh, that some watch that he's lost while there's starving children in the world. And I say, yeah. And let me tell you what else, too. Here's what we don't like. The starving kids, we're supposed to take care of. That, that's it. What we want to say is, why isn't God taking care of all this? Why we watch another eight hours of TV and don't do anything to help the hungry or the needy or the poor or those who are, are in trouble. We want to just blame God for it while we keep doing nothing. But God said, Jesus said, there's a blessing for you because you saw somebody hungry and you what? Fed them. They were thirsty and you gave them drink. They were in prison and you visited them. They were naked and you clothed them. I think it's Psalm 115.6 says this. I'm not sure about that, so you can check it out. It says, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to mankind. He gave us the earth. This is what the Bible says. I'm just talking about the Bible. And so we want to say, well, I'm just mad that God found a watch when he doesn't feed those hungry people. Why don't you go feed some hungry people? We, there's no excuse for people being hungry on planet earth because if we did what we were supposed to do because the earth was given to us, there would be no hungry people. So get, in, get involved. So... But it doesn't make me mad because I do know this. God has unlimited capacity, and so he can take care of people and find watches. It's not like he says, I don't know, am I going to feed a hungry child, or am I going to find a watch? I, I, I'm, no, he doesn't run out of capacity. He does not run out of capacity. Well, we're getting ready to go on this trip. We get a call from Sean a day or two ago and said, I lost my billfold. Darlene, you know, got, got an assignment. So I think my billfold was stolen. He was with Mitch. They went swimming, and he had his stuff there. And Mitch, Mitch's got a place with a pool. And so he get, takes the stuff back, and the billfold's gone. And so I uh, said, okay. So Darlene says, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that whoever stole that billfold is going to be so convicted that they're going to give it back, turn it into the office, or do something. Within minutes, I get a call. I have my billfold. I said, where was it? He said, in Mitch's couch. 
I said, even that couch had to obey Darlene and give that billfold back. Uh, and Mitch said, Sean actually had already totally looked through the couch. So he said, that was just a God thing. And so I thought, couch, you steal my son's billfold. My wife will pray it out of you. So amen. You say, well, does God really end all that? Yeah, why not? Because first of all, I want you to know, he has unlimited capacity. My grandmother was in the living room one time, and she was having a heart issue. And I walk in, I say, you okay? And she said, not really, but, you know, don't bother mom. Yeah, I said, okay, so mom would love to come in here and find you dead. I mean, that's, you know, don't bother your mom. And I said, let me pray for you. And she said, ah, she said, there's, there's little kids that need healed, and don't pray for me. And I said, okay, I get that, but that is saying God only has one. I get it. Very noble of you. God only has one healing. We're going to give it to the little kid at Riley, or are we going to give it to this aging grandmother? But God's not like that. He doesn't say, I, I only have one today. Are you going to be selfish and ask for it? I only have one. No, he has unlimited. Do you realize how unlimited God is? Do you know how much, do you know how many apples fall to the ground and just rot? Do you know how many acorns and walnuts and how much, how much opulence? Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting waste or, or, you know, not being good stewards. I'm just saying there's so much abundance that it falls to the ground and just rots away. wonder how many bananas, you know, rot around the world because there's too many of them. God's, God's not limited, and he really only gets limited by how we think and how we pray. And by the way, I'm talking to me too, I'm talking about myself when I say that, how we, get, we limit God. There's a guy named Jim Dennison. He wrote an article, Christian Man, love his writings. He wrote about the fires in Maui. He was watching the news one day, and he said he heard a guy on the news say, I'm just praying a miracle happens. Mr. Dennison said it got me thinking. I thought, why didn't I ask for a miracle? Why didn't I ask for God to do something supernatural? Why didn't I ask for God to stop the fires or do all kinds of things? He said, I prayed... I prayed safety for the workers. I prayed wisdom for those who were displaced. I prayed for help for the, the rescue crews. But I never prayed for a miracle. He went on his reflection and said, why didn't I, I really thought about it. Why didn't I pray for a miracle? And I realized, and we'll all relate to this, I realized that I don't pray for miracles as often as I should because I don't experience them often enough to be confident that God will grant them when I ask. We've all experienced that. Then he goes on to write, however, your response then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your decision to stop asking guarantees there will be no answer. He writes on, God honors the freedom he has given us so that you do not have because you do not ask. That's James 4.2. The less we ask, the less we receive until finally we just stop asking. I thought, Wow. I've been guilty. Maybe you've been guilty too. I remember I told you one day not too long ago, I was praying for somebody. I've been praying for them for a long time. It's so weird. You ever do something or hear something, you, just, you can just visualize right where you're at. This is really an exotic place. I was right by the trash can, starting to throw something away when I thought, you know, I'm not going to pray about that anymore. I'm, I'm done. And I just the next thought that came across my mind was, we ought to always pray and never give up. I just believe that was the Lord. Now, 
Some people would say the Lord spoke to me. I, I think he did, but it's just a thought. It's just odd that right after I said I'm going to stop praying for this and started to throw something away, he said, Jesus said we should always pray and never give up. So I said, okay, I'll just keep praying. I'll just keep praying. We need to be people of prayer. If we're not careful, we get to a place where we just stop asking. So don't stop asking. Don't stop believing. You say, well, people might make fun of me because I pray for stuff and I don't always get Who cares? Let them make fun. King David was like that. You read the Psalms? He cries out and said, Lord, where you at, man? He said, we could use a little help here. He said, I've been praying, been believing. You ain't doing nothing yet. He said, we're the laughingstock. People are saying to me, where's your God? Let him say it. Our God sits on the throne. He rules the universe. He's mighty. He's lacking in nothing. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above. All we can ask, think, or imagine, that's where our God is. And so let him laugh. Let him say, oh, I've seen you pray and not get it. Who cares? I'm going to keep praying. In, in the sports world, they say, um, you miss every shot you don't take. So in the prayer world, you don't get an answer for every prayer you don't pray. So let's pray. Let's keep praying. Keep practicing. Keep exercising the authority that we have in Jesus. I often use the word practicing because it relates to me. Because when you start to practice something, you're never really good at it. You know what I mean? When you first start, but you get better and you get better and you get better. But in the natural realm, I can tell you, you never get perfect. You know, the superstars that have, you know, thrown the perfect pass or caught the perfect pass or shot the perfect shot will tell you they've sure missed a lot of game, of game winners. They missed them, but they hit a lot of them. And we celebrate them for the ones they hit. And so keep praying, keep pressing in, keep believing God. I've been working on this all my life, and I content, will continue to work on it until I draw my last breath. So we want to talk today about, you see it on the slide, kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. We want to be people who walk in kingdom authority. So I want to remind you, because I haven't for a while. I mentioned it early, earlier. Christianity is spiritual. Christianity is supernatural. We operate in a kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus, the son the father loves. And we need to grow in the act of releasing the reality of the presence of Jesus and his kingdom in our lives, our families, and the world around us. Now you may say, well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, some of the stuff we've been talking about today is kind of wild. Kind of out there. You know why it seems wild? Because it's wild. That's why. You ever read your Bible? It's wild when an axe head floats. It's wild when the sundial goes backwards. It's wild when Moses' arms are in the air, they're winning the battle. It's wild when, when sea walls pile up. It's wild. It's wild when Jesus walks on water, heals the blind, the withered hand is extended whole. It's wild. So you start looking through the Bible. If you watch Jesus through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of our New Testament, it's, it's a wild ride as Jesus is going out doing all kinds of amazing things. It's wild that he takes just a few fish and a few loaves and feeds 5,000. Now, now, the King James says this, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I don't know what that number would be, but 10, 15,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish? Wild. It's wild that somebody would say to a tree, may no man eat fruit from you again, and they'd walk by the next day and it'd be withered, actually withered from the root, and was, was gone, was dying anyway interesting it's wild you read the new testament in the book of acts 
Because we can say, okay, I can give Jesus wild, but we're not Jesus. But we are Jesus' representatives in the earth. And the Bible shows how Jesus' representative act, acted in the books of, book of Acts. And they were doing wild things. They were casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, sometimes being killed for preaching the gospel. I mean, like I said, there are some things that are a little more than turbulence, but they were going after it, going after God. It's a wild ride, and it's spiritual and supernatural. Now, here's something, and I struggle with it too because I, I like things very linear, linear. I like to figure it all out. And so what we've done in big parts of the world, especially the Western world, is we've tried to, to sterilize Christianity. We've tried just to, just to make it, you know, package it real nice so we, we, we can kind of do Christianity like we would do math. You know what I mean? You just go sit down, read the book, study some things, learn some principles, pass the test, and go on. And, but Christianity is about a life. It's about a lifestyle. It's about something that infuses us and comes out of us. And everywhere we go, we take it with us because he lives in us big. And so we have to say, hold it, this is supernatural and it is spiritual. One warning, there'll be stuff that you'll do that will feel absolutely natural that the Holy Spirit is in and doing things in people's lives that you have no idea. In fact, it won't shock me at all that when we all get to heaven that there'll be people coming up to you and saying, you know, you did this or you said this or you said that, and you'll think, oh my goodness, I didn't even think they were listening to me. I didn't even think they were paying attention. I thought that felt very natural. But supernatural things happen through natural people who are filled with the supernatural God. So there's all kinds of things to learn. And I want to show us this from Jesus. Jesus taught us this in Luke 16. He taught us about um, this guy, this, this manager. This rich man had a manager of his stuff. And the manager wasn't doing a real good job and wasn't being super honest with it all. And he's going to get fired. And the manager says, oh, man, that's a problem. He said, I don't have the energy to go dig ditches, so I don't want to do manual labor. And he said, and I'm too proud to beg. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. And so he gets together with all these people that owe the rich man money. He says, how much do you owe? Oh, 1,000 of this. So turn that into 500. I owe 800 of this. Turn that into 600. And he starts cutting down everybody's bills. So guess what he's doing? He's winning favor with all these people. By the way, Jesus is not going to condone that behavior. He's not asking us to emulate it. But he is going to teach us a story or a lesson. In fact, there's several great lessons in this story. We're going to focus on one. And so when all this is done, the dust settles. The rich man knows what has happened. He says this, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Now, just so you know this, didn't approve of it, didn't appreciate it. He just said, okay, I see what you did there. And it is true that the children, this is Jesus speaking, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Jesus said that. Now, I see it like this. The world is sharper at dealing with the world and how their system works than we believers are at understanding and using our system. See, we have a system. There's a kingdom that we live in. It operates in principles. And as we begin to understand those principles and put them into practice, it actually affects the world around us, and it affects our own lives and everything around us. But it's different than the world's. Jesus' kingdom operates on different principles and procedures and practices. So we have to learn those and put them into practice. 
One of the big controversies of people, of, of people that really trouble them is that, that God, God tells to be forgivers. And I can't tell you how many people it aggravates. Probably a few people aggravated just to hear about that now. And you've heard it taught before, but I'm going to remind you. God doesn't tell you to forgive just to bless that person, although God does believe in blessing people. He tells you to forgive for your own good because you will take that situation and you will live it day in and day out and month in and month out and year in and year out and you will live that your entire life and be caught up in it. So God says, boy, if you can forgive them and release them, you will be releasing yourself. But that's a kingdom principle. That's not a worldly principle. A worldly principle says, I will never forget and you will pay and all that. But God says, I got a different system. There's also something else that's, that happens in that system. There's a thing called sowing and reaping, and I didn't think about this verse till right now. I can't remember where it's located, but it says, Bless, I say, and curse not, for God has called you to inherit a blessing. That's a, that's a spiritual principle. See, God has put into the world sowing and reaping. And so what happens is somebody curses you, and the right response in the world sowing and reaping, is to curse them back. That would be totally right by how the world's designed, sow and reap. But God says operate on a different principle. They have cursed you, but you're not called to, to inherit a curse. You're called to inherit a blessing. So when they curse you, God says, I say, don't curse back. Curse not. Bless them. Well, I'm not going to bless them. They don't deserve it. Well, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. You're going to bless them because you're your inheritance is a blessing. So when you bless them, what comes back to you? A blessing. Or you can do cursing and cursing and cursing and cursing. Or you can break that cycle. And so God's system, when we start to understand that, oh, okay. Jesus, God said in the Old Testament, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. There'll be sowing and reaping. And that works in every principle. And so I'm going to bless not particularly, I mean, honestly, not particularly because I want to bless them, but I want to break this cycle, and I want blessing to come back to me. So these are kingdom principles. And so there's dozens and dozens of examples, but I want to bring up this one in Matthew 20. Matthew 20, James and John's mamas come by and said, hey, I got a plan for you, Jesus. You can see mama saying, I'm telling you what, I've seen your disciples, and the two sharpest ones you have are my boys. You know that. And so here's my request, is that when you enter into your kingdom, of course, they didn't understand what all that was about either, but Mama said, when you enter into the kingdom, I want one of them to be on your right hand, one of them to be on your left hand. I want them, now we're not asking them to be number one, because that's you, but we're asking that they would be number two and number three. And Jesus says, wow, he said, I, I, you don't even know what you're asking. And he looks at the two boys and said, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink from? They said, we can. They didn't know what they were saying. And Jesus said, and you will. So they made that commitment thinking, okay, I, we're going to get it. They probably were disappointed with the next words. But to determine who was going to be number two and number three is not mine to give. And, of course, all the disciples ended up, John died of old age, but he still gave his life for the gospel and for the kingdom. The rest of them were brutally murdered. And so Jesus is realizing, still got some work to do here. So he gathers them all around, and he says, well, actually, we didn't read, we're skipping verse 24. Verse 24 says, the ten were indignant about this. They were so angry. 
You know why they were angry? Because they didn't think of that first. They wanted high positions, and they didn't think of it. And Because and you don't get mad about something you don't care about anyway. They cared about it. We want those positions. And so Jesus calls them around. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. So the rulers of the Gentiles are letting the Gentiles know that you're nobody special, we're special. We're up the pecking order. And then it says, but it says their high officials exercise authority over them. So who's king of the mountain? Everybody's playing the game. Who's, I'm better than you are, I'm higher up than you are, I'm this, I'm that, I'm in charge. And then Jesus says, not so with you. Here's a kingdom principle. You're vying and fighting for power, and you're going to step on this person and push this one down so you can get up. Jesus says, that, that's the world's principle, but that's not the kingdom that you live in. He said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, Jesus did not come to be served, but came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Kingdom principles. They're very different than the world's principles. And for us to exercise kingdom authority, we've got to operate in kingdom principles. And so there's lots of different teachings like this, and we need to become wise in them, and we need to activate them. You know Jesus, Jesus said this, Jesus said this. Jesus, when they asked him, teach us to pray, this was one of the lines in the prayer. He said, this was a prayer for us to pray. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about that prayer? Jesus was saying, I want you to pray that how things work up there would work down here. Wow. You just, it's, it's endless. Is there sickness? Is there disease? Is there, is there hunger? hunger? Is, there, is there worry and fear? Is there sin? Is there, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And Jesus tells us, pray this prayer. Pray, thy kingdom come, Father. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's a gutsy prayer. So here's some kingdom keys. We didn't talk about all of them today, but just to throw some up there, you can jot them down, take a photo with your smart device, look these things over. Kingdom keys, faith, hope, and love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The scripture says, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, and may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is very important. Love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, I don't really don't care what you do or how impressive it looks. If it's not motivated by love, it means nothing. Hmm. The power of the spoken word. A few weeks ago, make yourself a prophet of God's word. Speak God's word. God's word. Proverbs says this, uh, a man's belly, by the way, in the King James when it says man, it means mankind. Just so you know, it's because people, well, we're always talking about men and, and we need to talk about ladies. Well, if you actually read Genesis, it says, God made man, male and female made he them. The word man was like humanity or mankind. So it says, a man's belly or a person's belly shall be satisfied by the fruit of his lips. It says that, that he'll be filled by what comes out of his mouth. 
For life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat its fruit. So the power of the spoken word, James talks about it, the power of the spoken word. Third thing, correct thinking and correct living. Thinking correctly. Thinking correctly, really repentance is all about thinking correctly. You get good information and you say, I now think differently. Repentance means to think differently after. I've got good information, I now think differently. Maybe today you said, all I'm supposed to do is barely hang on until I die. And this guy's telling me we need to operate in kingdom authority. Well, study the Bible, and I think you'll go, wow, we need to operate in kingdom authority. Correct thinking creates correct living. And then prayer. We've talked about some about prayer today. Be people of prayer. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep learning. You're here. You're learning. Hopefully you're remembering, taking some notes, applying. Those who are watching online as well, learn and apply. Learn and apply. Learn and apply. Learn and apply. Information without application, there is no transformation. You want to get information and apply it, and it begins to transform things. And everything don't work well when you first try it. I give a teaching on evangelism, you get all excited about it and say, I'm going to go out and use this. Maybe the first person you run into and start to share with says, shut your mouth and get out of my face. I don't want to hear that. If you say one more word, I'll punch you in the mouth. You go, I thought this was supposed to be some awesome thing to do. That'll kind of dampen your evangelism passion. But I will tell you this, most people won't respond that way. That as we begin to do kingdom things, there's kingdom responses. We can, we can move to the next level by putting practice by applying these principles and putting them into practice in our lives. And we can work at having a prayer on our heart that just says, you know what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Probably a good idea to pray this prayer first. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here. Right here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here. And then thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my family. And just keep moving it out, moving it out, moving it out. Because that was the will of the Father Jesus prayed it, and we should do it.